Well, good morning. Uh, I'm Carlos, and uh, we're in the middle of a series that we're calling Reality Check. And what we were doing when we came up with this series, what we decided to focus on as we were planning for it, uh, is we were realizing that there is a need for a reality check. There was a need for truth to be told. That we live in a culture where truth is kind of relative, where everyone kind of gets to come up with their own definition of it, where misinformation kind of saturates where we live, and that fake news has become a common term. And so we said that there's a need to go back to truth, and we believe at Calvary Church that the source of that truth is the Bible. And so in this series, what we're doing is we're taking a look at the Bible and what it has to say about our finances, about our relationships, about whatever. And in, the, in that look, we're getting a reality check. And today we're going to get a reality check in regards to something that is always present in our life in some way, shape, or form but it's not something that we really want to wrestle with. Today we're going to be taking a look at a reality check on grief. And the truth of the matter is, is that you don't have to go very far to realize that tragedy sometimes hits us, that grief and mourning sometimes is a part of our lives. You can go onto the news and you don't have to go far to see one tragedy after another hitting our schools. To look at the news and see one tragedy another of different wars or different things happening, people being displaced because of different natural disasters. You look around and you see all of this mess and you see that sometimes life doesn't go our way. You don't even just have to look around on the news. You can just look around in your own life, whether it's yourself going through grief or whether it's someone that you know going through grief. Maybe it's someone that you know who has lost a loved one. Maybe it's someone whose marriage has fallen apart. Maybe it's a dream that has been finally lost, a friendship that has been completely destroyed. There is all of these sources of mourning and grief around us. And what happens is, is that oftentimes when I am talking to someone whose life has just suddenly gone a different way, whose life has suddenly gone a different direction than the way that they thought, I oftentimes hear three things. And three things happen, and these, these misinformation, these sources of misinformation become embraced in life, and we need a reality check in regards to these three statements. The first thing that I hear when someone is going through grief and they look at this and they see what has happened in their life, the conclusion comes that there must not be a God. If there was a God, how could stuff like this happen? How could this happen to this child? How could this happen to me? How could this happen? If there's a God, this shouldn't happen. And so the conclusion is that there must not be a God. But then there are some who kind of move on from that, and they're like, okay, I, I can accept that there's a God, but, but why does he let this happen? And so if he's letting this happen, there might be a God, but he just doesn't care. He doesn't care. And then we go on a little bit, and for those of who have accepted that there is a God, and for those who accept that he cares, they get to the point of like, well, if there's a God and he cares, then he must be incapable of doing anything about it. He must be a pretty weak God. 
And I've heard one or two or all three of these or a combination of them at different times when people have faced tragedy in their lives. And as they're grieving, these are the things that they are coming to. And as we look at a story in the Bible, we read of a story when Jesus comes face to face with grief. And in that encounter with grief, we see a reality check in regards to all three of those statements I just said. You see, in the Bible, there's this sibling group. There's these two sisters and a brother, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And Jesus loved them. We know that the Bible talks about how Jesus just loved them. And so one day, Lazarus is very sick. And Martha sends word to Jesus. She says, the one you love is sick. With the hope that Jesus would come and heal Lazarus. And Jesus doesn't go right away. In fact, he shows up late, so much late that Lazarus has been dead for four days. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of a glimpse into the end of the story. So spoiler alert, here's what happens is that Lazarus dies. And by the end of the story, Jesus expresses his divine nature and he raises Lazarus back to life and he brings Lazarus back out of the grave and he gives life back to Lazarus. And it's an amazing miracle. It's an amazing story. I used to be the children pastor, the children's pastor here at uh, Calvary Church and this is one of the stories that you teach kids often. But here's how it basically, here's kind of the flow when you're teaching a kid this story. It's, it's basically a man named Lazarus whom Jesus cared about died. People were sad. Jesus brings Lazarus back to life. Lazarus dies. People were sad. Jesus brings Lazarus back to life. And what happens is that as you teach that story, what the kids usually remember were, Lazarus died, Jesus brings him back to life. And somehow we skip that middle part. We know people were sad, but we never kind of stay there. And I would say that if we took the time to just stop and pause in the moment of this story and looked at that middle part of Jesus being with those who were sad, we would see something beautiful and rich. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of John. We're going to be looking at chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, you can read on the screens or you can take a Bible out of the seat rack in front of you. If you don't own one, take it home. It's our gift to you. It's free. We believe that reading the Bible has the potential to change your life, so we want you to have one. So we're going to be reading from John chapter 11, starting from verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me 
will live even though they die. Jesus shows up late. And when he shows up, Martha, in the middle of all of her grief, consumed by this loss of her brother, goes to Jesus and says, if you were here, things would be different. If you had been here, things would have been different. Where were you? Where were you? If you were here, my brother would not be dead. And sometimes we have the same reaction to God when things come our way that we are just not expecting, when things come our way that tragically changes our life. We say the same thing. Where were you? God, where were you? If you are who you say you are, this didn't have to happen, but it happened. Where were you, God? And we cry that out with broken hearts. And Martha cries out with a broken heart. She says, Jesus, if you were here, my brother would have life. And Jesus responds in that moment. And in his response comes the truth of Jesus. She cries out and she goes, if you were here, my brother would have life. And, and Jesus says, I am that life. I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, what you desperately want, what your heart is lamenting, the one thing that you really in all of your life desperately cry out for is not only provided by me, it is me. It is me. You don't just need what I can give you, you need me. We get so wrapped up in what Jesus provides at times that we forget that the greatest gift he ever gave us was himself. Jesus realizes what Martha and the people around her desire, but he knows even on a deeper level, not just what they desire, but what they need. And what they need is him. And here's where the reality check gets put to a whole different level. It gets put to a whole different level. You see, if we were to go back just a little bit further back and just read a few of those verses before the ones that I read, we would find this interesting observation. In verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense at all. I mean, if I was writing the story, it would be kind of like this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he got up and he ran as fast as he could. And he healed Lazarus. Or, or I would read it and it would be like, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he cried out in a loud voice and the sickness went away from Lazarus. He loved them, so he did nothing. He loved them, so he didn't go. 
that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense at all until we get to verse 14. In verse 14 it says, So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. So that you may believe. But let us go to him. The truth of Jesus is this. What we need is him, not just what he provides. We need him above all else. And God loves us more than we can possibly imagine. And he will do anything and everything to bring us to him. And when we are going through grief, he desires that we turn to him. And the reality is that sometimes it is our losses that actually bring us to him. Sometimes it is our losses that are actually the things that are used to bring us to him. That's truth. And if we were to stop there, if we were to stop with this and we just say, okay, that's the truth of Jesus, let's pray. If that was where the story ended, that would be a very, very hard truth to accept. The fact that God loves us and will do anything to bring us to him and that sometimes it is the very thing that we don't desire, the very thing that breaks our heart, that actually brings us to him. If we were to end with that truth, that would be very hard to accept. The story doesn't end there. The story does not end there. You see, we move from the truth of Jesus to the tears of Jesus. You see, the truth of Jesus goes against that one statement that there must not be a God. No, Jesus is who he says he is. He is God. And it is sometimes our grief that brings him to us. But if we stop there, then the conclusion is, okay, well, if God is God, he must not care. But that falls apart as we look at the tears of Jesus. If we go back to John 11 and we go to verse 28, we read, After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died again. We hear the same statement again, Lord, if you had been here. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. John eleven thirty five 35 uh, was one of my favorite verses as a kid. Here's why. 
It's the shortest verse in the Bible. It's two words. Jesus wept. And as a kid, I grew up in the church, and my dad was a pastor, and sometimes they made me memorize Bible verses, and so they said, okay, go memorize a verse, and sometimes I got to choose, and if I got to choose, that's what I'm choosing, because it counts. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept, and I loved it, because then I could memorize it and then go and play. As an adult... This has become one of my favorite verses for a completely different reason. As an adult, this is one of my favorite verses. And the beauty in it, the weight of that beauty is astounding. Jesus wept. He didn't get the sniffles. He didn't, he didn't tear up. Jesus wept. His heart breaks. And it's even more astounding if we just allow ourselves to think about, why is he weeping? Why is his heart breaking? I mean, here's the deal. Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew what he was going to do. He knew that he was going to be reunited with Lazarus. He knew the end of the story. So why is he weeping? Some have said, and I've read different Commentators, they said, well, Jesus is weeping at the lack of faith of those around him. That doesn't really make sense if you read the story. That doesn't really make sense. It doesn't jive up with all the different interactions with Jesus and the people around him. So why is he weeping? Why is Jesus allowing his heart to break? I would propose it's for this reason. Jesus' heart breaks when our hearts break. Jesus' heart breaks when our hearts break. Jesus wept. And in those two words, in that shortest verse of the Bible, we learn two amazing truths. The first thing we learn is this. It's okay to grieve. It is okay to grieve. Somehow we live in in this kind of culture where we're at church and we're like, you know what, we have to have a certain mask on and we have to pretend like everything is okay and that everything is fine and that even though things go really horribly in our life, we need to make sure that we put on this, this picture that life is still okay because we have Jesus. And yes, life is okay because we have Jesus, but it is okay to grieve. Jesus wept. It's okay. And the second thing we learn from that verse is that when we grieve, the God who loves us more than we can possibly imagine is grieving with us. It's grieving with us. The God who loves you furiously does not get joy in your grief. He is not some cruel deity delighting in your pain. He is the opposite. Jesus' heart breaks when your heart breaks. And it's this deep emotion. This deep emotion and these, this flooding of tears that occurs in this story with Jesus. And these tears will not be empty. They will not be empty. 
Jesus will be, not be stopped as he sets forth in motion the conquering of death. As he sets forth in motion his triumph. You see, the truth of Jesus is that he is who he says he is. He is God. And he loves you more than you can possibly imagine. And it is sometimes through our losses, sometimes it is through our grief that we actually get to the point that we come to him. But that truth of Jesus is not alone. It is accompanied by the tears of Jesus and his heart breaks when our hearts break. But this is not this weak, empty crying. This is not a a, a weakness that he can do nothing about what is causing us our pain. It is actually uh, tears that are fueled by a love that will not be stopped. It is a furious love that is relentless. And it is a love that triumphs. You see, when Jesus weeps and he goes to the tomb... Jesus does something pretty amazing. He says, roll away the stone. And he cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out of there. And he brings life back to Lazarus. Showing this triumph, showing that he is Lord even over death. And Lazarus walks out of that tomb alive. And again, if that was the end of the story, we don't fully get the whole picture. Because that is a great moment and it expresses the divinity of Jesus, expresses who he is, his divine nature, his power. But here's the truth. Lazarus will eventually die again. And this whole scene will happen again. There will be people crying at Lazarus' death once more. The triumph of raising Lazarus from the death is temporary. What is needed is an eternal triumph. And so Jesus does this and he, and he calls them out and, and he calls Lazarus out. And as he does that, people believe. People believe. But some of them do something different. Some of them go to the religious leaders. Some of them go to the Jewish religious leaders of that time. And they're like, here's what just happened. This is what he did. And the leaders get upset. And they get angry. And then we see in verse 53, it says, So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. And that plot was successful they end up taking the life of Jesus. You see, in order to fully defeat death, Jesus had to be subjected to death. In order to bring life, he had to die. The truth of the matter is, is that Jesus does not deny your heart's grief. He heals it. He heals it. And the way that he is able to heal it is because of the triumph that he claimed after his death on a cross and his walking out of that grave 
eternally victorious on the third day. That's the key to this whole chapter. This whole chapter is saturated and drenched in the love of Jesus. This whole chapter has Jesus' love all over it. We sometimes don't see that because we get caught up in the folk and focusing on the circumstances of Lazarus. We see that Lazarus was dead and then he's alive. And we get caught up in all these circumstances that we miss all of these, these moments of Jesus' love in this chapter. And sometimes in our own lives we get caught up in our own circumstances and we miss all of the times that Jesus' love is saturated in our own story. In the midst of grief, if we just somehow were able to open our eyes and actually see, we would see that Jesus' love is there over and over and over again, even when it feels like everything is crumbling around us. That doesn't mean that there won't be tears. It's okay to grieve. It doesn't mean that there won't be pain. There is pain. But there is a hope we can cling to because Jesus has triumphed. The love of Jesus is unstoppable and it is victorious. When I began to prep for this message, I began to kind of think, how do we end this? And I was talking to Wayne who leads uh, worship over at our Quakertown campus, and we were kind of sitting there, and, and we were just talking about how we would love to have a chance for us to kind of sing together just a song, and I was like, you know what would be a great song? There's this song called How He Loves, and I just love that song because it just really is a song that I like to listen to when I'm going through stuff, uh, that, that when I feel sadness, when I feel pain, I just listen to this song. It reminds me of God's love. And so I was talking to a friend of mine named Will. Actually, Will was playing guitar up here earlier in the service. And Will loves the Bible. And whenever you talk to Will about the Bible, his eyes light up. And so he was just like, what are you preaching on? And I was like, okay. So we walked through all this. And I was like, and actually, we're going to end the service by singing How He Loves. And he goes, really? Do you know the story of that song? No. I don't know the story of that song, Will. You need to YouTube the story of that song. Before you preach, YouTube the story of that song. I was like, okay, well, I'll do that. Went home and I YouTubed. I wrote John Mark McMillan. He was the one who wrote that song, How He Loves Story. And it was then that I learned the story of this song. John Mark McMillan had a buddy, a best friend that he was really close to. They were just super close. John Mark McMillan is, is someone who writes songs. He's, he's a, a singer. He's a songwriter. He's a musician. His friend was a youth pastor, and, and St his friend's name was Steve. And Steve was at a meeting one day, and he's in a meeting with all of these other youth pastors, and, he, and he's praying, and he cries out, and he goes, I would give my life if the youth in our country would come to know Jesus. That night, Steve died in a car crash. And John Mark McMillan gets a phone call. 
And in that one moment of a phone call, everything changes. His heart drops into his stomach. And he feels a grief that he never thought he would feel. And he talks about just being angry, being confused, just, just uncertain of what's going on, God. And he sits down the next day on a, the steps of his friend's house. And he does the one thing that he's done all the time when he needs to just wrestle it out with God. He begins to write. And as he's wrestling with God, angry and confused, grieving, he begins to write the words to this song. How he loves us. How he loves us. The ending of that song, we don't often sing the last verse. But if we did, we would hear this anguished heart cry and this heart just turning to Jesus. John Mark McMillan writes this as the end of his song. He writes, I thought about you the day Stephen died. And you met me between my breaking. I know that I still love you, God, despite the agony. See, people, they want to tell me you're cruel. But if Stephen could sing, he'd say it's not true. Because you're good. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves. In the midst of your grief, cling to this reality check. The reality check is that Jesus is who he says he is. He is God. He is all-powerful. He exists. And the reality check is that Jesus' heart breaks when your heart breaks. His heart grieves when you grieve. And the reality check is that his love will not be stopped. His love is relentless and it has triumphed. And it is because of this love we are offered a new reality. A reality that Jesus will one day come back. And when he does, everything will be restored. And it will once again be good. It will be very good. You see, if we go to Revelation 21... read in verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Your grief is real. 
I know that. I know that. And it's okay. There is no one way to grieve. We go through that process in different ways. Our process of grief changes, but what doesn't change is the love of Jesus. It is Jesus' love that is unstoppable. And while your grief is real, Jesus' love is also real. Cling to that love. For it is the hope that that love brings that will carry you through your grief. We're going to do something a little bit different today. For just a moment, for just a moment, will you let me be your pastor? Some of you are facing grief. For just a moment, Will you let me as your pastor pray over you? Lord, I ask you that you will bring healing to any heart that's breaking in this room. I don't know the stories of everyone in this room. I don't know what they face this week or this month or this year. But what I do know is that your love is real. And that you love them more than they can possibly imagine. And so Lord, whatever pain it is, whether it's someone that they've lost, whether it's a relationship, whether it is a dream that has been crushed, Lord, I ask you that you would just step in in a very real way and make your love tangible in this moment. Lord, I ask that you just love on them like crazy today. Make yourself so real and draw them closer to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus.